When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Friday, May 5th. Derek Van Ryan from Mount Melchior, Eno Saris, all here. Full house on a Friday. It's rare. We knew when we set out to do more pods this season that we weren't going to have every single episode with everybody available, but this is one of those days, one of those special days. I knew it was going to be a good day because I DoorDash donuts again this morning. <laughs> Let's get the Welsh. Dad life. <laughs> Dad life, yes. You're like, can't even go out and get his own donuts. Like, no. <laughs> but, but I need them so bad. It takes a so lot bad. to get out of the house right now. It takes extraordinary efforts. And if, uh, if I get a haircut in the next six weeks, it'll be a miracle. But I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping I don't have to resort to using the clippers on myself. That is uh, not <laughs> what you want. But a lot of ground to cover on this Friday. And we're going to start with our big news of the week. Tons of prospects coming up. A lot of pitchers earlier in the week. We're going to start today with Matt Mervis getting called up by the Cubs. And this is a player we were hoping we'd see on the opening day roster. Unfortunately, we had to wait until May 5th for that to actually happen. That probably made it very difficult to stash Mervis in a lot of redraft leagues. There's a good chance he was dropped, even in leagues where he was previously drafted as a reserve player. I think the simple question is, you know, what are we expecting Mervis to be? Is he enough of an impact guy at first base to immediately start cracking lineups in 10-team in leagues, 12-team leagues? Al, where are you dropping the cutoff for Mervis as you think about picking up this weekend? I think he's borderline 12-team relevant. And I, I thought about this, and, and the way that I, I broke it down was I looked at the projections, which I all thought were maybe slightly conservative, having him around 245, 250 batting average. Uh, if you figure he is going to play close to every day here on out, maybe he can get the 20 homers. Uh, and I figure that puts him kind of in Josh Bell territory. And so to me, that's somebody who's kind of on the fringes of 12-teamers. Yeah, he's hit... I mean, at every single stop since the start of last season, it's really impressive. Bringing the K rate down, bringing the walk rate up, showing plenty of power. Doesn't offer any speed, but most first basemen don't. Um, you know, do you think the projections are a little light on Mervis, too? Because that was what I saw when I ran the auction calculator for the rest of the season. The numbers for Mervis versus Nick Prado were actually surprisingly close in the calculator. And for me, Prado is like a very borderline maybe AL only sort of player, whereas Mervis actually is going to help us in a lot of formats. He doesn't have amazing hard hit rates in the minor leagues, does Matt Mervis. And that's, I think, the only kind of concerning bit is how does he get to that power? Um, and, uh, you know, because otherwise you would say, well, here's a guy who's basically had a 300 ISO since, uh, 2022 began at three different levels and we're projecting him for less than a 200 ISO. Like, is that right? Um, he hits a fair amount of fly balls, but what if he's hitting them softly? Um, I don't know. Do you hit, uh, since the beginning of 2022, do you hit 40 
plus homers softly. Seems hard, so, doesn't it? Seems hard. <laughs> so uh, if the projections are light on power, uh, then you were talking, uh, yeah, easily hitting those that 20 homer mark. And, you know, I think it was interesting to bring up Josh Bell because I'm falling out of love with him in a couple places in 12-teamers. And I think I might make that switch if it was available to me. The projections are really similar. 250, 260 for both, 15 to 18 homers for Bell. But the error bar skews towards positive for Mervis, I think, and less so for Bell, who has once again, or maybe, you know, once again, a bad ground ball rate. And actually this time, the worst ground ball rate of his career. Yeah, Josh Bell, for for a player that you'd think would be consistent isn't like the the variation in his performance he's so much more erratic than you'd expect him to be there's so much more yeah, he doesn't strike out a lot you'd like strike out guys you think wisdom patrick wisdom would be the guy that would be like all over yeah. the place you know right yeah like someone who controls the zone like josh bell you would just think if you look at the rolling woba chart you'd see a pretty narrow range the the, the peak wouldn't be crazy high the lows wouldn't be terribly low but we've seen this before from Bell. What's funny is I think people are going to go out and throw pretty big bids at Mervis. He's probably at least a 10% fab range player at, at the minimum in most leagues. Probably going to get bigger bids at some of the high stakes leagues that are out there. And Bell's going to get cut. And next weekend in those leagues, those very same leagues, Bell's going to go for like half as much, right? Like, that's, that's probably what's going to happen. That's sort of how fab works. Like fab... Fab is like this voluntary exercise where someone in the league overpays for everyone. That's what happens in Fab. What, it's not it reminds efficient. Me of, uh, what's the thing that uh, that um, Andrew Friedman said? If you never overpay, you never get a free agent. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's that's just the yeah economic structure of baseball is the same way, but fantasy baseball is like that too. We all have these bloated thousand dollar budgets. We want to spend them on someone. We know it's not helpful to have money left over at the end. It's not like you get it back in in prize money. Hey, you saved two hundred fab dollars. Here's here's some money back. It's like no, you got to spend no, you it. You don't want to leave money on the table. So it's like these hyperinflated bids because we're all just hoping to catch lightning in a bottle, and then we're playing these small sample size games. Which still, even on May fifth, like we're still dealing with thirty games worth of information about six starts for pitchers. A lot can go right and a lot can go wrong in a sample that size that isn't necessarily meaningful. Ever since we brought up Masataka Yoshida on the show (laughs) 10 days ago, he's done nothing but hit. He has been on the biggest heater ever. He's been unbelievable. (laughs) Now he looks like a complete stud. (laughs) Cause and effect. I mean, that's that's the power of a couple of weeks. So I I just say that because I, I, I think if you expect Fab to be this perfect exercise of efficiency... You will be chasing the ghost forever. You will always be disappointed. You will never and ever be efficient at fab. It's so imp- it's impossible to be an efficient fab player in the sense of always getting the bids right and not overpaying for the players you have to get because everyone sees and hears the same things that you see and hear going into the weekend. We're all mm-hmm. talking about the same players on these pods. We're all writing about the same players in these articles. And the pool is only so big of relevant players. Everyone's sorting by the same categories when they're looking at those boards on every site. So that's the, my keeper league. Al plays in my keeper league now. Maki, the bids this year have been stupid. Like most of the bids <laughs> in that league, that's only and that's a league that only uses a one hundred dollar fab budget because the price that you pick someone up at is the price they would be as a keeper. 
But there have been so many double-digit bids on players that I thought were three, $5 players. It's just there's something that gets into people, especially early in the season, to we just a, spend up. We had a question about how, how you run your fab. So I, you know, I want to throw that question to you guys. I mean, it's I could, I could look for the details of the question. It's basically like, how do you guys come up with your fab numbers? And <laughs> the real answer is, eh. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. you, you the more you play the more you start to be like okay this is a guy that's like 20 like 20 percent and like you hear us talking about 20 percent and five percent i mean you know i think that my general rubric is just like if it's a streamer i want to spend a single percentage point like single digit percentage points you know one to three percent if that's if it's only going to be with me for like a week or two then that's what i want to spend if it's someone that i could pick up for a few weeks or like has the upside to become a starter then i can get to double digits um and then if i want to get to three digits out of you know if this is a thousand right like if i want to get to three digits out of a thousand uh you know i've done that for taj bradley i would do that Maybe for Mervis, if he's like replacing, like if I don't have a first baseman and I'm like struggling at first base and I'm struggling at power and batting average and, you know, here, Bryce Miller, like if I really needed a pitcher, Bryce Miller is number two in stuff plus uh, on the board. And even if he comes down off of that and regresses off of that, he's going to, he has great stuff. He has the best ride, fastball ride among all fast, among all starters in baseball right now. So like he's a dude. And he looks like he has excellent runway. If you want to go to three digits out of four uh, for him, then uh, I would say if you still have the money, do it. <laughs> yeah, we were ranking pitchers uh, earlier in the week, the rookie pitchers. And, and Al, just thinking about other rookies we've seen come up, do you use previous similar players from this season as your grounds for what to you know kind of bid within range, of course? Mm-hmm. If, if you're looking at... Bids for Mason Miller and Taj Bradley, Tanner Bybee. You know, what did everyone spend on those players in your leagues? That's probably as much of a guide of what you need to bid on Bryce Miller as anything else. Anything we say is it's it's a we're trying to guide people, but what the room is doing, the other eleven or other fourteen people you're playing against, they're shaping the market more than anybody else is. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a that's a big part of my process. I'm sure with you guys too is that yeah, the first couple of weeks you're you're sort of flying blind. But then once you have those first prospects come up and then you, you see what the the rooms are are you know paying uh, in those early bids and yeah I, that that kind of calibrates things for me going forward but it's not a hundred percent based on that because when I make recommendations in my waiver column it it's partly based on what I think it's going to take to win the player but it's also based on what I would actually do and how I value that player and so for an example with Bryce Miller I'm a little concerned because uh, he hasn't pitched a triple A and I know that double A is, is actually probably the more difficult space, but still th- there's you know a lot of cases of players coming up directly from, from double A and, and having uh, to, to go back or, you know, go, go to triple A uh, and, and Miller had, had some struggles. So, and again, in a very small sample, but we're working with a, a small number of minor league innings at double A, no less to go on. So yeah, he had that great first start against Oakland, but then, how do you weight that? And so I went very cautious on Miller. I recommended uh, five to six percent in fifteen teamers for for Miller. Mm. So that's not the the triple digit. I'll let somebody else spend the ten percent on Miller and take that risk, and it might pay off for them, but it it might not. 
And I think what bridges the gap between where each of you are on Bryce Miller is your need. If you are yep. set with pitching, you won good pitching earlier, you had enough pitching all along, then that lower range bid is fine. You still want to bid on players that you think are good, even if you don't need them. And you still want to throw something out there because there are some times where the room misses. That happens in leagues too. I see it happen every single week. I see the screenshots. There are very competitive leagues where odd things happen in fab. But I do think a triple-digit bid is probably what it's going to take to get Bryce Miller in most leagues. I think the the start was so good, and then the fact that it's backed up by the stuff numbers, that's only going to solidify those numbers even further. I think that's one of the things that really drives confidence right now, is having this new tool that takes a very small sample and gives us a much better idea of what it's likely to to mean it's not just Bryce Miller available this weekend, though. I think this is a really fun exercise for Fab, too. Brandon Fott has major issues with the home run ball in that debut. You know, I'm curious what he looked like in the model compared to what we were seeing at AAA. We talked a lot about him on Tuesday episodes, the Project Prospect stuff we've been doing. How did Fott actually grade out as far as the quality of his pitches, even though the results were just horrendous in Texas for him earlier this week? Yeah, it, it actually looked great. <laughs> I mean, a 99 fastball stuff plus was uh, basically above what he was doing at Reno, which might have been affected by altitude. And there is a weird thing where batters weren't swinging at his fastball. Um, and I think that probably has to do maybe with where he was locating it. And they were sitting on his breaking balls and hitting them. But his breaking balls have good stuff plus. So uh, I uh, I would not just be out on fought after that one start. Uh, in fact, I think the underlying numbers were uh, something that I'm excited about. And the thing about homers is that it's, it's, I think, one of the hardest things to see is that homers are noise. Homers are the biggest way to skew someone's stat line in a negative or positive way, depending on if you're talking about batters or, or pitchers that, um, you know, have a certain amount of luck involved in them um, and aren't sticky or aren't don't tell you a lot really quickly. So the fact that he gave a bunch of homers does not actually mean that much. And if you look at uh, Bryce Miller's minor league line, it was because he gave up a lot of homers that, you know, they didn't look so good. And I talked to him about it and he was like, yeah, the games in which I gave up the homers, like we literally had 40 mile an hour wins to center field. And like just knowing what the minor leagues are like and like what my he was like and every squib hit I gave up, like found grass or, you know, like a defender couldn't get to it. So it's like I've seen plenty of of of, of little league games like that. <laughs> little league. Yeah. And uh, minor league <laughs> and games and like league. that. Um, and so, I, you know, I think. uh you know, for fought the homers, not great, but not doesn't mean I'm getting off the bandwagon. Yeah, and I think we also have Gavin Stone thrown to the mix here, too. So Where I was never on the bandwagon. You've so. never been on the bandwagon for Stone. <laughs> it looks like Stone's going to go at Milwaukee for his next Yikes. turn. So Alan, leagues where all three are available, you know I got to speak about this a little bit earlier in the week, is Fott still the guy that you'd actually have at the top based on all of our previous expectations for him? Because that actually still makes sense to me. It's the, You shouldn't take one great start and one bad start and just completely throw everything from the last couple of years out the window. Like if you thought Brandon Fott was better, uh, was the better pitcher of the two, if you thought he was better than Bryce Miller going into this week, you probably shouldn't have changed that unless you didn't know anything or know enough about Bryce Miller, right? It's possible that there was a, a gap in knowledge. I don't think people were talking as much about Bryce Miller throughout the winter as they were about Brandon Fott. Yeah, I mean, Bryce Miller was not somebody who was 
getting drafted uh, in order to stash. Brandon Fott was. So, no, the one start doesn't uh, doesn't change anything for me at all. I didn't downgrade Fott. And, I mean, the nice thing is maybe you can knock 1% or 2% off the bid just because maybe uh, your league mates uh, will, will be more down on him. But they, they shouldn't be. It's just one start. Uh, and plus, in, I, I made a comparison between Fott and Stone in the column. And one factor there is that Fott's going to be, I think, in that rotation to stay. Where's where's the competition? I mean, we've seen some puzzling moves and you know players getting sent down that we wouldn't think they would, or you know those who stay up that we wouldn't think. But that there's not the level of competition there that there is in the in the Dodgers rotation. So, uh, I yeah, Bobby Miller's coming. That's right. You know, like they have a bunch of different guys. If you struggle in the Dodgers rotation, I think you're back in the minors. Exactly, and maybe yeah, even if you don't struggle, maybe if you're just decent, but there, it's just right. a numbers game. So. I'm pretty much out on Stone in 12 teamers. I just he's not somebody that I would feel good enough about to to be holding down a bench spot and stashing for what could be a long time once he's down again. I assume that unless something changes injury-wise in the next 72 hours if we find out that one of the Dodgers starters goes on the IL, they've been messing with the schedule a lot, maybe that's an indication that uh, Gavin Stone have a longer window to stay in this rotation. I think I'm a little more interested in Stone than both of you, but he's a clear third for me among these three where all are available. Uh, there were a few more hitters that have been called up recently. Michael Garcia, called up by the Royals, has hits in each of his first three games. Wasn't playing particularly well at AAA. This is a Kansas City team with plenty of opportunity. Um, what's your interest level, Al? I mean, there's there's been... There's been some interesting numbers from him in the past as far as having this uh, kind of power-speed combo. And I don't know, I, I kind of think the Royals need anything they can find that helps their offense since they've been one of the worst lineups in the league this season. Yeah, I, I'm not too worried about the the playing time, but the team context is it's sort of a double-edged sword because, yeah, maybe he'll not have to struggle for the playing time, but he also could really struggle to produce runs. So... Uh, the the power speed combination is something that that makes him certainly somebody I would want to uh, bid on this weekend in fifteen teamers, but that would be the extent of it. This is at, this is Garcia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Garcia Michael and Garcia. Xavier Edwards, JJ Blade. All these guys are all up, and none of them are are going to be nearly as expensive as Mervis. None of them are going to be hyped like a lot of their top prospects. That yeah, they're in Tennessee secondary bids. So the thing for Garcia is, I was ready to write him off as not having power, um, and that's still potentially the case. Um, but I did watch him drive the ball all the way to the wall. It, that's kind of a funny thing, you know. Like we're just talking about how homers are noise, and like saw that I saw him like really drive a ball, and I'm like, is that? I mean, is that the best you've? Got? If that's the best you've got, then you don't have power, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? But if that's like in your bag and you have better than that, then you're kind of intriguing. So I'm a little bit out on Michael Garcia. Um, the, the, you know, the the power uh, he is one level 186 plate appearances at one level where he had a above average iso so i think he's in a long line of nicky lopez's and and so on and so forth so uh i'm more in on blade who uh told me that he's uh made a a, a bit of a, a swing change a, a change in philosophy um he is swinging a lot less chasing a lot less and he has put into his head the idea that he is going to swing down on the ball now that doesn't mean he's actually going to swing down on the ball but he had a long loopier swing and by thinking swing down on the ball he can shorten it 
And so that's what you see when you see a great improvement in his swing strike rate uh, in AAA for Oakland this year. Uh, it's only been eight of plate appearances, but that swing strike rate has ported over so far. And it would be really intriguing to see J.J. Blade put up the same kind of power that he's shown in the past with like an 18% strikeout rate. I think that would change what I thought of him as a player. So Blade is kind of interesting to me. I think he's going to get some runway too. And he spent a lot of time at AAA last year as a member of the Marlins organization, struck out 27% of the time over 85 games, got that down to 12.6% through the first 25 games this season. That's a massive improvement. Even if that's not the true talent level, that's a lot of improvement. Even if he's a 15 to 18% guy at AAA, a low 20s percent strikeout rate from J.J. Blade in the big leagues, that would be better than we expected based on what he did when he debuted with the Marlins a year ago. Because that K rate was at 28%. Uh, I didn't think he was a center fielder. We talked about that at the time when he got called up. But I do think in Oakland, very, very open runway for him to play and to play a lot. So we'll see if they can make good on the trade that sent A.J. Puck to Miami. Uh, Xavier Edwards got called up by the Marlins, speaking of the Marlins. And he's kind of bounced around through the minor leagues and shown speed and the ability to get on base and uh, not a lot of power. I think this is a guy that has even less power than Michael Garcia. So if you're looking for that classic speedster sort of play the question will come down to whether or not Edwards is going to get on base enough to take off and really use his wheels so Al how do you see him fitting in with the Marlins in terms of his playing time I mean the Marlins it doesn't seem to matter what the regime is the Marlins love speedy players and this is a roster that's already got John Birdie and uh, Garrett Hampson but given that I'm just not sure if, if Edwards is going to be back down pretty quickly so he has yet to start a game with the Marlins uh, so right now, I'm, I'm not really that interested, even 15-teamers. Uh, I think I could probably find steals elsewhere. Uh, I think more of a watch list player for deep leagues. And, you know, of course, mono leagues, uh, I think there's a good reason to pursue him. But I think right now, otherwise, he's he's just uh, something put on the watch list for the see how the playing time develops. Yeah, the speedster to think about instead might be Nate Eaton because Kyle Isbell is going on the IL for the oh, Royals. I saw and- him hurt himself, yeah. Grab yeah, the that's, hamstring. That's a bummer, but Nate Eaton can take off and offer up some cheap, cheap speed as well if that's a category that you need. And we've been has getting a like lot a of little bit. He has a, just a whiff of upside about him where the strikeout rates have not been bad in the minors. The ISOs have been good. This is a guy that maybe if he was given, you know, some real chance, he could he could do better than his projections, I think. Yeah, I think Eaton's a little complicated because he's been old for the level everywhere he's played, yeah. which was also, like many players, made worse by the lost 2020 season. Uh, but you could do a lot worse, especially in deep leagues. I think even in 15-team leagues, you might want to take a flyer on him as kind of the bottom of your bid list sort of player because he may play more than you think, and he might be a little better than people realize. The other player I wanted to ask about on the hitting side is Christian Encarnacion Strand. We've had multiple mailbag questions about him this week. Is it time to start stashing him in redraft leagues where available? And you know, how does he fit into the Reds playing time picture? Right? Any thoughts on CES, you know? I know there's like there's this real buzz. Is there actually some news? I haven't seen anything yet as far as a call up. But there's like he's that been... kind of like building buzz where people were just like, ah, he's killing it down. He had there. A three seven homer homers in 10 games. Yeah. yeah. Oh, three, three that must have night. been it. No, that starts circulating on Twitter and everyone's like, when's he coming up? Is he the next guy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Votto's got to come back soon too, you know, and Encarnacion Strand has played six games at first uh, this year and two games at DH and two games at third. 
Steer seems to be fine at third. I don't know. I think this might take longer than people think because, you know, Votto at some point is going to... I mean, Votto is not like even rehabbing. Like he, he's just like, I don't feel right yet. So at some point he might just be like, I'm ready to go, you know? Um, and once he does that, then I think the Reds get more complicated in terms of what the depth chart looks like. And, you know, so right now, who's playing first for them? A lot of well, Will Myers went on the de- on the depth chart on the on the DL, IL. So what's uh, who's playing first for them? They have been a revolving door at a couple of spots. I think Has first Steer for them, Steer, Steer's been playing some first or can uh-huh. play some first. That's the way you could make it fit. Nick Senzel's been playing a lot. So Senzel's been playing third, third and, and yeah, he's playing, playing third, first. and Steer's been playing first. Nick Senzel can man, also play the outfield. I. I like him more on the infield. I think that actually makes a lot of sense. So so far, so far this year, Nick Senzel has played 11 games at third, 13 in the outfield, and four at second. It's a lot of versatility. He's always had that athleticism. But yeah, I, I wonder if this is just a little bit too... It's too crowded at those spots for now. But then again, like, is, is TJ Friedel really blocking someone? Is, is Henry Ramos, is he blocking someone? Are they... Are they good enough to block someone? I know people like Friedel. Some people like Ramos. They don't seem like long, long-term pieces. If they think Encarnacion Strand is ready, they'll bring him up. With like basically like kind of a league average-ish player. Uh, yeah. I don't think Fairchild is really uh, pushing uh, for more time. He looks like a like a fourth outfielder type. So you've, you've got a little bit of, of sogginess on the depth chart where DH, first base, and even one of the outfield spots could all be pretty flexible. Fraley's at 27. Yeah, like You know Fraley, Friedel, and Fairchild? It's funny that they all start with F, but uh, they're all like older than you think and not don't have as much upside and like would be fine outfielders if if you didn't need them to be like better than they are you know what i mean like they'd yeah. be ideal fourth outfielders yeah with a exactly. universal dh they'd be perfect fourth outfielders because you could start them three or four times a week never play them against lefties and life would be good but if you but put them out there six or seven days a week anybody, you know like yeah and i think the the path for ces has to be unless steer really drops off i think it's got to be you know dh uh and mm. and get you know replacing somebody like Ramos or, uh, you know, people who are playing uh, in, in the DH slot. That's the low-hanging fruit. Maybe just maybe just shift Votto to, to DH. Yeah, we're that. here on out. And then you've got Steer, Senzel, and Encarnacion Strand sort of sharing first, third, and DH with Votto. I don't know. So I want to throw this out there as more of a, a general question. We've got a group of players we've seen see upticks in playing time this week. It includes Nick Prado, who I mentioned earlier, who I don't think is very good. Emmanuel Valdez, who I think is kind of interesting. Emmanuel he Rivera. had some of the best hard hit rates in the minors. Yeah, he popped for us as a prospect of the week, I and think, some at some of the point worst last year. Swing too. decisions and in-zone contact. And I don't think he's much of a defender either, but he has started seven of the last eight, and second base has been sort of a revolving door in Boston. Tyrone Taylor's back. Dominic Fletcher. We talked about him a little earlier in the week. Gavin Sheets. Al, I'll go to you first. Does anyone out of that group really stand out as someone you want to go after and, and bid somewhat aggressively on this weekend? I mean, honestly, not. Um, and I even in in a deep league, I've I missed out on Fletcher just because I'm not sure long term if there's playing time for him. Anything more than is part of platoon. So I get like you said, Valdez is kind of interesting. I don't know if he sticks. Uh, it's second base, but 
little bit of power there. Um, it's kind of funny because the, the two Emanuels have sort of similar profiles. So try not to get them confused. But uh, <laughs> uh, they're, they're uh, I would say, in, in the case of Fletcher, Valdez uh, in particular, they're like contingent 15-teamer bid types for me. The only like some short like single digity like if I was rating some of these, I might put Lede ahead of Valdez and yeah, I definitely would. But Lede yeah, has I, like changed his ability and has more runway maybe than the rest. So this this entire group felt like it was worth throwing out there as possible names to look at, but not necessarily the clear obvious like yeah yeah make a make him a, a priority. Uh, with Valdez, the other thing that's strange, Boston's among the teams that has two off days on the schedule this week. And since he's a lefty, he may actually sit a couple of times because of their five games, two of them are against left-handed pitchers. They'll see Max Freed so and Steven Matz. So it's a stash Metz. and not a stream for sure. Right. So don't pick him up expecting a lot of production this upcoming week. There's a very good chance he starts three games, and that's not what you're looking for in a weekly format. Let's move on to some other notable pitchers, as we've seen with the injuries in the Twins rotation, Bailey Ober and Louis Varlin likely sticking around for a while. This is the other part of the how do you do your fab. I think there's a trap people fall into where they think, I've got to solve this for the rest of the season. No, hmm. you, you got to solve a week at a time. And if you're thinking about a player's longer term viability, a month might be the most like realistic window for a lot of players you're bidding on on fab to say, what does the month look like for them? Because after a month, Everything's going to change. Chaos rains down upon the player pool, and we're going to have a whole bunch of other decisions to make. But we've talked a lot about Ober and Varland and the Twins as a group, you know, have done so well in the pitching model. Uh, I'm just curious, what is the longer term outlook for them now that we know we're going to see more than just a couple of spot starts for each of them? Yeah, it's interesting. I, Bailey Ober, I think, may have a, a bit of deception to him that my model doesn't capture. He is extremely over the top. The twins have invested heavily in the type of technology that can tell them about types of deception that I don't have access to in uh, Stuff Plus. Uh, his numbers have been really good almost everywhere. <laughs> you know, like he's been, he had like a, a one ERA in A ball. Like, I mean, he's been good. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you not to, to be in on him. Um, but if he costs more than Varland, I might just do the sneaky Varland play, uh, because my model says that Louis Varland has four pitches that are average or better by stuff plus and has, uh, maybe as much command as, uh, as, uh, Ober. And if you're looking at minor league numbers, they've been good for Varland. And that doesn't even include, uh, a two or one mile an hour increase in velocity this year. Yeah. Um, his swing strike rates have always been better than overs. His strikeout rates have always been better than overs. So, um, you know, if, if you're giving me a dollar, I'm definitely going to take Varland. Interesting. Okay. Varland's actually among the pitchers that might be available to start a two start week coming up because a lot of the two start pitchers this week are clearly rostered players. And that given that I'd almost be like, okay, I'm like, I'll put a dollar or two more on, on Varland because the, the short term situation is even better for him. This is a pretty good stretch of schedule for the Twins to sort of prove it, too. The upcoming week, they've got three at home against the Padres, a little easier series to, over the weekend with three against the Cubs. Then they go on the road for three against the Dodgers to start the following week, an off day, and they get three against the Angels on the road. So a good test for the pitchers, just a good test for them overall as the current leaders of the AL Central. Uh, Al, I mean, same kind of thing for you, just to 
Ober versus Varlin preference? Well, is it, it, it getting the discount? Yeah, no, it came up in your league, uh, DVR, because they were both available. And I put the same bid amount on both of them. Didn't get either. Um, because like you said, <laughs> the bids are really getting inflated, but I, you know, you have to prioritize uh, who you'd rather have. So I put uh, Ober was literally above Varlin by a hair. And for me, the the reasoning was just simply, we've seen him succeed at the major league level, whereas we haven't seen much from Varland yet. So um, I, I like them both. Varland with that two-step uh, is, you know, if you're talking about more of a pitch and ditch situation in a more shallow league, I would probably uh, give Varlin the preference, but in a deeper league like yours, uh, I'll go with the the more proven option in Ober. I want to ask you about Brian Bayo. Al, is Brian Bayo ever going to be good? He's coming off of an outing last night against the Jays that certainly wasn't bad given the difficulty of the matchup, right? Two earned, over five innings, five Ks, one walk. Yeah, we'll take that. And a W against the Jays, that's excellent. A night where Kevin Gossman actually struggled it seems like Bayo is sort of important to the Red Sox. If they're going to hang around and be a playoff team, Bayo pitching well and, and showing us something similar, not in ratios, but at least in terms of just good, like K sort of stuff, like he did last year at AAA, like that's part of their story for this year. Are you buying into it? Do you see enough there to go ahead and throw some bids on Brian Bayo? Uh, I, I am. And he's had two good starts in a row. The, the Toronto start was definitely the, the bigger test, but the prior start against the Guardians, five innings, uh, one run allowed, uh, six strikeouts, which is nice to see against Cleveland because uh, they're not a particularly good offense, but they don't strike out a lot. So it's only two starts. But given that we were really excited about Bayo this time last year, uh, there's really, you know, I guess other than some of the major league struggles he's had, there's not really, to me, a compelling reason to not still be enthusiastic about him. So, yeah, seeing him put together a couple of nice starts, I'm I'm in. How about you, you know? Um, you know, it's possible the model doesn't capture his how good his changeup is. Uh, it's it's been rated by scouts as, as, as a strength for him. It looks nice. Uh, it has decent results. So you've got a good slider, good changeup, a, a decent uh, fastball. I think he's got what he needs. I don't know that I would throw him at the Braves next week. And so if I don't throw him at the Braves next week, he's a stash uh, in weekly leagues. And then the, the start after that might be the Mariners at home. Yeah, that's what it looks like. That looks okay. Yeah. Uh, and then... If the schedule holds at the Angels again, mm, that's a little bit close. It's not a great park. It's an okay. It's an okay offense. So he's a little schedule dependent for me. Yeah, it's it's hard because there were 129 Ks in the minors for him between Double A AA and Triple A, and that was in something like 96 combined innings between those two levels, which is just absurd. Didn't have a home run problem. It kept the walks in check to a reasonable degree as well. So. Uh, if that change, in fact, was the best pitch from a scouting perspective, as we've learned, that's one of those things that the model doesn't always capture, and that might leave a little bit of a buying opportunity he did for lose some players. Tick, though. That's, that's something he really can't afford, but I do think he is important. I think he's got a good bit of job security for the Red Sox, and um, he seems like the guy that's kind of filling in for Garrett Whitlock, but if he pitches well enough, he probably stays, and someone else might get bumped once they get Whitlock back into the fold. One other pitching-related question. The Astros have been scrambling for replacements. Jose Urquidy and now Luis Garcia both hurt. We're supposed to get an update on Garcia this weekend. It is an arm injury for him, so hopefully it's nothing too bad. Hopefully it's just like a one-month thing as opposed to something much worse. 
But we did receive confirmation that JP France is going to start on Saturday, which is nice in weekly leagues because we'll actually get to see it at the big league level without having to just buy in based on minor league numbers. Um, I did take a peek, though, at the AAA stuff numbers. You know, JP France actually looks somewhat interesting. Yeah, I think 16th among starters, and that includes some guys with only one start, you know, Mason Miller on his way through, Bobby Miller uh, types. So if you if you raise the the minimum innings, uh, he could sneak into the back end of the top 10, maybe. Uh, he obviously does have some stuff uh, because he's been, He I think he led uh, maybe the minor leagues or at least AAA last year in strikeouts, and that's a raw number. Um, so not necessarily rate, but, you know, and it also affected by the fact that he had 110 innings at, at triple a, uh, probably, <laughs> probably more than most. I mean, maybe the most, you know, if you think about it, like how triple a works, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised there weren't a lot of other people that had more than 110 innings at that level last year. Um, but, uh, you know, the fan grass grade on his command is, uh, 50, um, and the location plus uh, data on his uh, AAA starts this year has not been super kind. Uh, it's kind of a 95 location plus, which is a little bit borderline uh, starter reliever. So I think he's, um, you know, a little close to kind of the Josh James uh, conundrum where it's like, okay, we believe in the stuff, but um, is the command going to be enough to be a starter? And so that makes me uh, very tepid by and sort of more of a stash uh, situation. And also because we won't really know how good his major league walk rate, how good his locations are after one or two or three starts, you know? This is true. The thing I'm looking at right now, by the way, I'm looking at last year's leaderboard of innings at AAA. Yeah. And France... He was a, he was thirty seventh in triple oh, innings. Okay, across. so I was wrong. There's a lot of people, but it's a it's a leaderboard. Ordinarily, you'd be like, yeah, durability. That's a good thing. You you want to have lots of innings, but you don't, don't want to have durability at triple A. It means you're not pretty. You're not good. Right? <laughs> you're right. You're not getting the opportunity. I mean, yeah. Uh, Darren is it Darren McKagan? It's a, I know it's a. Oh yeah. He, he was Mariners uh, sort of depth starter. Yep. Yeah, Peyton Battenfield, Austin Cox. Cesar Valdez at 37 had 146 in the third innings. Matthew Kent, Colin Wiles, Matt Crook, Ryan Nelson is the first prospect on the list. Yeah. Real, like realistically. And he's eighth. Uh, Kyle Muller was up there too. Muller threw a ton of innings at Triple A. Not a great list of you. Yeah. Not jo- Josh Lindblom, who is retired and is like moved <laughs> retired, on. Retired. A guy who retired. The 37 year old might be retired. Yeah. And Lindblom, like, he seems like an awesome guy. I think he got an MBA and he's like, he's on to his next career already. Right. After 133 innings last year at Nashville. So, it, yeah, it's not necessarily a good place to be. Hopefully, if you have a big workload at AAA, it was because you also were at AA that year or because you got called up, right? That's what it usually is. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. I was trying to decide, decide if there's anybody else in this organization that's worth thinking about. I mean, this is two spots they tried they have to, to fill. stretch out Ronel Blanco. Yeah. Uh, because they're a little bit worried about their pitching depth. And Ronel Blanco, uh, you know, good fastball, good curveball. Not sure he has the full arsenal and the command hasn't quite been there. Well, the tricky thing, too, is Forrest Whitley had a couple of nice starts to begin the year at AAA and has had about three rough ones since then. So it doesn't really look like he's going to get that opportunity, which is Ooh, a bummer. That means he's I've got numbers on him, huh? I you should have some check. numbers on him. I don't think they looked awful, but they didn't look great. 100.4 stuff plus 91 location plus. Yo. Yeah, that's got some reliever feel to it doesn't it where he's going to shorten up the arsenal and throw harder and just be part of their bullpen if that happened though i wonder if they could pull the brian abreu stretches out i've wanted that for years just give me give me a poor command (laughs) just give me one chance to have my heart broken by brian abreu as a starter beautiful stuff and they've done it before right we've seen them do it with christian javier uh he could pull the javier that's why this proof of concept. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. So I don't know. I don't know if you can do it in in a lot of redraft leagues. It's probably more of a keeper league, dynasty league play. And Brian Abreu is around that sweet spot where he's not really getting saves, so he might he actually be, be available. available. Could be a good stash in some deeper, like mixed leagues where you've got 15 plus teams and, yeah, and like a starting decent pitching play for like you know what I have found is that sometimes it's valuable to have a guy like him on your roster. When you're like, oh crap, like all my pitching matchups this week, like, or they're like, I don't have enough good starting pitching matchups. And I, I think I'd rather, you know, just plug in a reliever and get some, you know, get three to four innings of good, you know, with good K's and maybe sneak a saver win in, you know? Mm-hmm. And so having a Brayu around in, in a run environment where four, three ERAs average, I think, uh, can be good even if he doesn't become a starter. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, if, if France is decent, then they could just go with the the, the, the Johnny Bullpen uh, route for, like for the France starter. For three and Brian Abreu for two or whatever. Well, but, you know, I think, you know, Abreu is pretty important to them in the, the later part of the game. I mean, I, I, that too. Yeah. It would be, it's more exciting to think of the idea of Abreu being converted to a starter or pitching longer, longer uh, stints. But, I, you know, I thought maybe, maybe Alec would be more likely uh, <laughs> to, to be filling that role. Yeah, I kind of like Brandon Bielek a little bit. He's got a, a deep arsenal. Nothing's great in it. It's just he's got a lot of options, and that's kind of what you need if you're just going to hang around in the back of a rotation. Maybe he's more of a four, foreign change starter on a regular basis for them, but that's probably your best bet for your second guy that's going to take over a spot if, in fact, Luis Garcia is going to miss a lot of time. Yeah, it's really a bummer. It's not Forrest Whitley though. It, it, he was supposed to be so good. Maybe it'll still happen in some role. I hope for his sake he can figure it all out. Well, just you know, in a related topic too, it's kind of strange with the the pitching injuries to the Astros and the fact that the the offense is ranking very low in terms of WOBA and ISO. Uh, that the Astros are sort of a, a team to think about streaming against right now, hitters and pitchers. Yeah, 
Oh, you're killing me. We had uh, we had a choice between Jason Adam and Ross Stripling in our main event. Ross Stripling had a two-step uh, of uh, you know at Astros home against Milwaukee, and we chose Adam. Now we got two saves from Adam, so we're not too angry. But uh, Stripling looked good against the, the Astros, and they definitely look uh, like a team you can pitch to. I, I hate to say that about somebody with uh, a team with Jordan Alvarez. And uh, I will point out that uh, uh, Jose Altuve has been taking grounders. So I don't know how long uh, yeah. that'll take. But since he's been out so long, I bet you there's going to actually be a uh, a uh, rehab stint. I would think he would need about a week's worth of games. Probably a lower level than an upper level, and that's probably coming off of work at the complex where he's getting a ton of at-bats and, and running a lot and just doing all those things to make sure he's so good I, to go. Like what's the quickest he could be back is like two weeks maybe, I feel like, two, right now. Yeah, two weeks seems like a like a, a pretty reasonable but aggressive timetable. You know, Last week we were talking about the teams we were, were constantly streaming against, Rockies, Tigers, Guardians, Royals, uh, Reds, Nationals. Those are all the bottom teams by WRC+. And since it came up on the 3-0 show, we were talking about some of the teams that were surprisingly bad offensively, teams that were worse than Oakland. And at the time of the recording, Houston was one of those teams. The Yankees were one of those teams. The White Sox were one of those teams. I ordinarily don't want to stream against any of those clubs, but the Yankees without Judge, the Astros without Altuve, the White Sox just got Tim Anderson back, so they're probably closer to themselves than they've been really at any point so far this season. Murtis. Just got K'd by Edward Guerrero, sorry. <laughs> oh, stupid day games at Wrigley. Yeah. <laughs> God, I hate the day game at Wrigley on a Friday. Sorry, you were talking about a streaming against there. Yankees. Well, the good, and... te- the good teams that are underperforming. Uh-huh. And if they're missing if they're but missing just, one of their best it's bats, tight are, rope, dude. It's, it's a, a really tight rope. Because then it, they could wake up against your start and you're like, oh, duh. Yeah, and I think the, the thing that you'd also look at, of course, would be strikeout rate. The Astros still don't strike out a ton. So... You're not getting that extra boost in that category to take on the risk, so I'd still be pretty careful about messing with the Astros with kind of mediocre starters, even though by numbers they're right there in the thick of things with some of the teams that we're picking on all the but time. But then they could they could string together a bunch of hits with that contact rate, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm cautiously optimistic Plus that they're going still to find it. Alvarez and Alex Bregman on that team, like they still and Pena can go off, so like they still have three really dangerous hitters that can. They can hurt you. Yeah, and then you'll the salt in the wound will be the guys that shouldn't hurt you also hitting a two-run jack off your pitcher, too. Martin that's the, Maldonado oh, goes yak. I mean, I, that's why we didn't pitch stripling in the end. We're like, eh, I don't know. Right. You're just protecting yourself from you know, the worst possible outcome. I had a handful of names listed as possible two-star pitchers that might actually be available some places. I'll throw them all out there. We'll talk about whether or not we ought to use any of these guys. Kyle Gibson, two at home against... Good teams, the Rays and Pirates. Graham Ashcraft, probably only available in shallow leagues right now, like eight and ten team leagues, home against the Mets, road against the Marlins. Uh, deeper leagues, Michael Lorenzen, maybe available everywhere. At Cleveland, home against Seattle. I think I'm just done waiting on something good to happen with Michael Lorenzen. No, I like all three of those so far. You you like all three, okay. And Clark Schmidt, home <laughs> against Oakland, home against Tampa Bay. The absolute perfect stress test for the model and for our hearts. So I know you. I know you've got a lot more to say about Clark Schmidt. You know he's he's becoming the new Mitch Keller. He's the guy. His, his word, his name in the word cloud just keeps getting bigger every week on this show. <laughs> I, I, I want to like. I just want to be like uh, call a moratorium. 
<laughs> I just want to no get more. his name on the wall behind me on this side, and it'll start as like a, a ten point font. And every time we mention him, it's going to get bigger, and eventually, it's going to cover the entire wall behind. You're me. just going to see the L A R and Clark at that point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm trying to get his picture card. The, what I'm trying to see is if he's changed his usage at all. Uh, there's some evidence he's changed his usage. I like this. Uh, he's going to the sweeper less and the curveball more, and he's had a real hard time against the lefties. Also, he's uh, using the cutter less, which is not so great, um, And uh, but has not, not gone to the four seam. So what is he, he's just going curve sinker to lefties? Um, I don't know what he's figured out against lefties, but he's using the curve a lot more, the slider a lot less. Let me see about, let me do it just for lefties. Couldn't figure out against lefties be not throwing a trash cutter against them? <laughs> couldn't that be the answer is like hey well, i got this bad pitch that i shouldn't throw in this situation so I'm just gonna oh throw my gosh against lefties cutter 65 percent to 40 percent to 35 percent to 20 percent this month there you go okay all right that's, that's i'm back part. in i'm back <laughs> in i like them all buy them all all right you gotta, oh, you gotta defend michael lorenzen for us because i i don't see it um, what, what's, uh, it's, what's good I mean, here? it's fairly simple. He added a, a sweeper uh, in the off season, and uh, like just just gives him. Uh, he's got kind of the kitchen sink, but with the sweeper, he has an out pitch. So like a one hundred seven uh, four seam fastball, one nineteen uh, slider by stuff plus, and then a bunch of kind of eighties to nineties. So it's a kitchen sink. It's not very impressive, but it's uh, in a two start in those matchups. Uh, I kind of, I kind of feel okay about him. What do you think about this group, Al? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm passing on Lorenzen. It, it was a little bit hard with those matchups, but yeah, no, I've got Schmidt in my 15 team. Or somebody dropped him, and I'm happy to use him for this uh, this two step. Not going to pursue him in 12 teamers just yet. Uh, so, uh, let's see, was there Gibson? Nah, the, the, the Rays matchup scares me a little bit. Mm. Ashcraft is going to be always in my rotation with two starts. Yeah. So the, the matchups definitely don't scare me. He's not the guy I think that we were hoping he would be back in spring training. He's not really emerged as a strikeout pitcher, but he keeps the ball in the park and, uh, contains damage that way. So um, I'm definitely always in on Ashcraft as a, as a two-start guy. The one pitcher that isn't included that actually we talked a little bit about offline is Garrett Braxton. And I picked oh, yeah, Braxton Garrett, Garrett yeah. Braxton Garrett, him too. I finally did it. I had been waiting to reverse the names. <laughs> and on this show, I finally did it. It is kind of a two firsties, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So yeah, why? Garrett's why, more of a first uh, name than Braxton. What's he got? <laughs> Sorry. Continue. So, yeah. No, so, uh, I'm planning on starting him in a 12-teamer this week. I think are, that the, his, the Brave uh, start was an aberration for him. We've seen, you know, Sandy Alcantara blow up. We've seen seems, seemingly everybody has blown up. I mean, the Braves are good. Uh, yeah, it's a good, good, it's a good two-start week at Arizona and then home against the Reds. That's, that's solid. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, hmm. you know, prior to the 11-run blow up, uh, was, you know, pretty much looking like the picture that, I was expecting him to be this year, which is a guy that I could at least sometimes use with, with two starts. Yeah. I think if you're going to watch only one of those two starts, maybe watch the Cincinnati one. Because <laughs> if if something bad's going to happen to Braxton Garrett in those matchups, it's going to be the Diamondbacks 
at Chase Field doing it to him, more likely than the Reds uh, at whatever they call Marlins Park these days. I've lost track of who's Home sponsoring Depot, that particular stadium. <laughs> Lone Depot? Or Ho- Lone Depot, yeah. Lone Depot. Lone Depot Field. So, so now nice. I've, I've botched the pitcher's name and his ballpark. And we're giving away free advertising, so we're going to get in a lot of trouble. Uh, anything good in Jake Irvin's profile? You know, he debuted for the Nationals this week. He's got a two-step. He's at San Francisco and home against the Mets. So just by combination of quality of those teams, that's sort of a not taking a chance, but it's more of a, a deep league sort of question. Uh, looks like a kind of a sinker slider guy that uh, may have some trouble against lefties, uh, by the model at least. Uh, but uh, he is tied for the lead in Stuff Plus on Washington with an even 100. So. That's what they collect, right? They collect the, the 100. with and faint the... praise, if you might call it that. Uh, given his uh, minor league uh, strikeout and whiff rates, I'm not super into him. Yeah, seems like a matchup-dependent guy, and that could be a pretty tough profile to use, especially as we get... Into that warmer season in D.C., we've seen the ball really fly at Nationals Park the last several summers. Uh, Al, I think you mentioned before we started recording, Rich Hill has some pretty nice matchups coming up. So you're trying to try to stream him for a week or two? Yeah, 50 teamers, uh, definitely. Uh, it's one start weeks, both this coming week and the week after. But this coming week, he's got the Rockies in Pittsburgh. That's a perfect matchup. And then at Detroit the following week. And he's actually been pretty good lately it's all been pretty favorable matchups although the the recent three start streak and you can maybe extend it back to four against the Astros he gave up two runs in six innings but didn't strike anybody out but then he went to Colorado and uh gave up one run in six there yeah that was the weirdest (laughs) (laughs) seven strikeouts and then uh, good starts against the Reds and and the Nationals like the Adam Wainwright vibe you know he's got that he's got the elite curveball and he's just gonna he's gonna play everything off the elite curveball so I think that can work with these uh, two stars. So he's got the the Blue Jays here on on Friday, so that might not go so well. But I wouldn't let that dissuade me from taking him with those two matchups coming up. Yeah, I do like him beyond the weekend, so I think that's a good call for some of those. I would say the, out there. the the uh, there's a little two groupings where it's like you know Ashcraft and you know uh, who do, who else do we have that we all liked. In the two start, Barling. I think Clark Schmidt, yeah. Clark sort Schmidt of. and Ashcraft. I and, think and, I yeah. kind of like those better. And then I have this like more riskier group with Lorenzen. I would put Hill in the more riskier group with Lorenzen, Hill, Gibson, and Garrett. And honestly, I know I'm not supposed to say this, but I think it's a it's like luck. like you could throw a dart at those i you know like we have models and we have our opinions and we're going to tell you what we think but i you know any of those it's they're they're of the quality where like any of those guys could be pitcher of the week or they could win the opposite of that award which has not been named yet (laughs) and this year it seems like it's worse than usual right we're seeing because of the run environment, the ball everyone's getting flying hit. flying more. The drag is down on the ball, so it looks like the ball is back to 2020. Uh, oh, oh the 2020 ball. Good. Yes, we're, we're, we're looking at the 2020 ball. And the shift means that all these guys that don't have great strikeout rates, Garrett and Gibson and Lorenzen, are a little bit riskier because uh, uh, just a group of ground balls could get through, and all of a sudden that's a big inning, you know? So I think they should change. Here's what I think they should do with the ball. I think they should treat the ball the way that car models work, where you go like four or five years, and then you have the new version of that model. So you kind of know, like, 
the 2023 versus the 2024 and the 2025, well, that's the same because it's one cycle. But in 2027, we're giving you the new ball. And then you can talk about all the, when they introduce it, they can talk about how amazing it is, all the new features they added to it. And then we can analyze it and kind of adjust to it and get neon, used to it. Neon threads. <laughs> neon threads. Tar you know holders. that back in the day, What's-His-Face wanted to change the color of the ball. Wait, wait, which, which, who? Who wanted to change the color of the like ball? The, the, the legendary A's owner, I think. Chuck Finley? Or is he a... That's the, the pitcher. Owner? Finley, something Finley. Charlie Finley? Charlie Finley, I think. Was he an A's owner or, or an Angels the owner? the color of the ball. Hmm. Yeah, he wanted like a neon yellow ball, I think. I've never actually played softball with one of those. I don't know if I'd like it better or not, but... Uh... Yeah, I just think we got to have a little more consistency with the ball. That's all. We've talked about that plenty. Over the or last just few lean years. in. And just be like this year, it's got wings. How about every every game? <laughs> how about how about they make a different ball for every game? They manufacture 162 balls, juggle they, them all up. They and roll every day. Like you a, get whatever random like one. A so one park, machine or something. Yep. <laughs> like they're like, what ball are we gonna have today? <laughs> so the day that Colorado gets the crazy ball at Coors, they're gonna score oh 38 God, combined 20. runs. <laughs> yeah. But then the day that they get the concrete weighs twice as much as the other balls ball. <laughs> It's going to be a no, like a combined no-hitter for both clubs through nine innings, right? Oh, like, my God. I, but you I don't know which one you're going to get. What would the betting market think of that? Oh, I would, I would love to see the betting market have to deal with that because <laughs> there's nothing they could do about it. It would be the chaos that just destroys them. It'd be amazing. <laughs> Bullpen report. Let's dig into a few bullpens. Liam Hendricks making progress toward a return. He's going to have four to five rehab appearances before he's activated. So I think that means if he is available in your leagues, this would be the time to go ahead and Add him to your roster. It's not going to take long. This is just an amazing story. It's great to hear that he's doing well on a health front. Arisa Iglesias just got activated before we start recording. They didn't make him go back-to-back yet, so I don't think if you've got A.J. Minter on your roster, it's probably not an immediate drop situation. It's more of a wait-and-see. Make sure Iglesias has all the velo back. They could share opportunities in the short term before Iglesias sort of moves back into that primary closer role. Uh, Eno mentioned Jason Adam earlier. Two saves this week. Because Pete Fairbanks actually went on the IL to begin the week. Adam did give a couple runs against the Pirates in the second of those two saves. So it wasn't on the edge of our seats for that one. It wasn't perfect, but he looks like he's sort of the guy right now for the Rays. So good pickup where he's available. We talked about Will Smith earlier in the week. That was on the Wednesday show. He appears to be getting the bulk of the save chances now in Texas. Like Jonathan Hernandez. You're going to wait it out with Jonathan Hernandez. I am. Are you okay? So here's the here's the other part of this. The Yankees. We talked about them earlier in the week too. Are you more likely to hold Jonathan Hernandez, or are you more likely to try and get Michael King right now? Okay, I would rather have Michael King than Jonathan Hernandez. Yes. If someone outbids you for Michael King, is Ron Marinaccio a fallback bid for you in case in case the Yankees want to leave Michael King where he's at and just keep a one inning guy as the closer? Oh, he has some spicy numbers, Marinaccio. Mm-hmm. Look at that. I just worry that if uh, Holmes loses the job, that it's not going to be one guy. Yeah. They, could, they could just go to a committee. But the mm. thing is with King, I think he's got value. Obviously, he has more value if he's getting steady saves, but he's also got ratios value if he's also giving you some some two-inning stints. Marinaccio has some whiffs of command issues. Yeah, he's, he's got a career 13.6% walk rate through 58 innings, but an even one whip and a 202 ERA so far to begin his career. It's working so far. I don't know how long it works with a walk rate like that. Keeps the ball in the park. I guess that's how he's getting away with it so far. Ian Hamilton's been pitching really well despite mediocre numbers in the model. 
the thing that I would mention about that is I think his uh, slider is unique, and I need to look into it a little bit more, but um, he's got uh, one of those pitches. Alexis Diaz, Yenier Cano, and Ian Hamilton uh, all have uh, unique pitches in terms of release point, velo, and movement that uh, make the model, that stretch, stretch the ability of the model to, to do anything. Because the model is basically comping pitches, you know, not not that brute force, but like, you know, it's looking for combinations of release points and, and, and movements and velos and, and trying to compare them with what's happened before. And so if you have an Alexis Diaz fastball, nobody else does. So the model's like, I don't know, it could be like this, you know. Um, and Yenir Cano's sinker, nobody else throws that. You know, he has the most drop on a sinker from a non sidearm. So it's uh it's a it's a, it's it's a, a unicorn. Um so Ian Hamilton is a name I'd throw out there too. Are there any other relievers that you're trying to stash away right now? We talked a lot about some some interesting stuff guys earlier in the week, you know, but Al, do you have anybody else you think is close to an opportunity to close? Not I mean the guy that I'd been waiting on was Adam, so he's getting his chance now. Um, and, and the thing, you know, with Cano is, I mean, he's behind a really good closer who's struggled a little bit, but still and Baker's skill a profile. Too, so. so I haven't made any, any moves to pick him up. So not really, it's been more the emerging guys like Smith and Estevez and Adam. Uh, so yeah, I got, no, uh, no closers in waiting right now. Two names real quick to throw on, on the heap. Uh, Jeremiah Estrada, just, I think still. obvious. <laughs> Fulmer has really fallen off. And, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's an, there's a real opportunity in that bullpen. And at some point they're just going to be like, Hey, we've got a rookie with stuff and we're actually good. So let's screw, screw it. Why worry about year six of a reliever? Come on. Not sure. Uh, they also had Brad Boxberger serve up a walk-off home run on Thursday against the Nationals happened. too. So, uh, <laughs> Lucas Sims also is another name I want to throw out there. Uh, real plus plus slider, good, va- a good fastball. Alexis Diaz. I mean, it's not his fault. The park is part of it, but like Sims is always someone that I have sort of, you know, at the, at the tips of my fingers, just in case something happens. All right. Well, there you have it. Hopefully some help as you get ready for the waiver wire this weekend, covered a lot of ground over the last hour. Give us a follow on Twitter. Eno's at Eno Saris. Al is at Al Melchior BB. I'm at Derek Ben Riper. If you don't have a subscription to the athletic, $1 a month gets you in the in the door, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Check out Al's waiver wire column that runs each and every week at the end of the week on Fridays. You get chats and articles from Eno, plus all the other great stuff we have as well. Some new articles just dropped this week, so be sure to check those out. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Good luck with your bids this weekend. We're back with you on Monday. <laughs>